Hi, welcome to the latest episode of my podcast, which is the audio recording of an interview. The video version is available on Facebook, YouTube, and most of the time on Instagram. My Facebook group is called Donna's Interviews, Reviews and Giveaways, and all the links to everything else are on there. Um, If you want any feedback or if you want to suggest any authors you'd like to see, I'd really appreciate it. Hope you enjoy. Um, I'm confused. Good evening. Today I'm talking to Lorraine. Hi, Lorraine. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Hi, um, my name is Lorraine Mace. I am a a hard-boiled crime writer. Um, I'm the author of the D.I. Sterling series of um, novels that um, each book is a a stand, there are five so far, each one is a standalone crime, but the characters continue through. Um, The fifth in the series uh, was published just a couple of months ago, um, which is, sorry, give it a plug, Love Me Tender. And I also write for children. Um, I run the Flash 500 uh, writing competitions for flash fiction and uh, novels. Um, And I also critique and and mentor other authors. So that's me. Uh, Did you always want to write? Um, Yes and no. Uh, When I was much, much younger, I did. Um, but not crime. I wanted to write um, like Georgette Heyer. I absolutely adored her books. Um, And that's the first book I tried to write uh, was a Regency romance and it was absolutely abysmal. I think I managed maybe four chapters before I realized that what I was doing was actually pure plagiarism. Um, (laughs) and And thought, oh, okay, I'll put it to one side. Um, and then something like mm, 20, 20, 30 years later, I started writing seriously. And what pushed you to do that? Oh, I've lived in a number of countries. And when we moved to France, a lot of people said, you know, what are you going to do with your time? And I was very blase and said, oh, I'm going to write short stories for the women's magazines. Completely, I I had no previous experience in writing short stories. The last time I'd written a short story is when I was at school. Um, And the arrogance, if I look back on it now, the arrogance of it, oh, this is what I'm going to do. Um, More rejections than I care to think about later, I thought, maybe I should learn how to do this properly. And that coincided with my first acceptance and the money that I got for that short story. I bought um, a Writers Bureau course and I haven't looked back since. And in January of this year, I was a tutor for the Writers Bureau. Oh, well. And so what made you decide to write crime? Again, I think I have to go back to the the Writers Bureau course. At the time, I was reading a lot of crime. 
um, not particularly British authors, more American, Michael Connolly, John Lascroa, um, the um, Dennis Lehane, you know, lovely writers, but, but very American. And one of the assignments was to write out a plot for a novel. And because I was write, reading crime at the time, obviously that's uh, where my mind went. And I wrote the first three chapters of um, what later turned out to be the first of the D.I. Sterling series and left it for years. All I did, because it was an assignment for the Writers Bureau, I did that and nothing else with it. And years, years later, I finished it and sent it off. Um, and I was lucky enough to get it published. Um, and did you know when you published that one that it was going to turn into a series? No, no, that wasn't my intention. I thought, okay, I'll, I'll finish this one and that will be it. Um, but when I submitted it, the, the very first thing that the publisher came back with was, well, what's the synopsis for the next one? And I was like, I don't know. I don't have a synopsis for the next one. But obviously, you know, I wasn't going to tell the publisher that. So I knocked out a, a rough draft of a, um, the next book and um, worked on it and thought, oh, I can, yeah, this would actually make a good book. And five books later, here I am. <laughs> and you plan to continue it? Um, yes, I've, I've uh, already started book six. But in the meantime, um, my publisher headline, uh, they've contracted me to write two uh, standalone psychological thrillers. So I've just sent off the first one to the editor and I've started the second one. Um, so until they're out of the way, I won't go back to the, um, the Paolo stories. And did you prefer writing the series or the standalones? Um, I'd only written this, the series for hmm, the best part of a decade. So when it came time to write the standalone, because it was so different, it was completely different. Um, I enjoyed it, but I also felt a bit intimidated by it because it was so different to what I'd been doing. But once I got into it, I loved it. And the one I'm writing at the moment, I am really enjoying. Um, if you were to be a character in your series, um, which character would you like to be? I think I'd like to be um, Detective Sergeant Kathy Connors. She, she is unique. She is completely different. Um, she doesn't, she doesn't put up with any, any, I won't swear. She doesn't put up with any rubbish. Um, she knows exactly who she is and she likes who she is and makes no apology for who she is. So yeah, if I was going to be anybody, I'd be her. Um, and is there any book that you'd like to be a character in? Is there any storyline you'd like to experience? <laughs> oh, now that's a tricky question. I haven't been asked that one before. Um, hmm. I think I'll go back to the Georgia Heyer novels. Yes, I would like to, <laughs> I would love to be the heroine of one of her novels. Um, which one would I really like? Uh, the Grand Sophie. Again, 
this is somebody she knows exactly who she is. She doesn't take any rubbish from anybody. And she is, she is very um, outspoken and forward for a time when women are, were supposed to be um, seen and not heard. Um, you said you've lived in quite a few countries. So do you use those as settings for your books? No, I use characters and characteristics from people that I've known in different countries. Um, but, but no, not the settings. The, the, um, the settings are all the UK. Um, the Paolo Sterling series is set in Bradchester, which is a made-up town. But it's, it's sort of in the East Midlands, um, which is an area that I know. So places like uh, Stamford, Oakham, Rutland Water, Leicester, um, they all get a mention because they are within um, easy driving distance of this town that I've made up. Um, sorry, I was just to finish that question. In the first book, I lived in, I lived in Malta for, um, well, actually on the island of Gozo, and I got used to uh, Maltese characteristics. So one of the characters in the first book is Maltese, and I used some of the characteristics that I, I knew. The um, pathologist is South African because I lived in South Africa. So like things like that. Um, and would you give any of your characters their own spin-off? No, no. Um, I will either stick with Paolo until I feel that's it. I've, I've done that and, I'm, you know, it, it's not going to go any further. Um, or I would carry on with standalones or write a completely different series. But no, I don't think so. Um, do you write any secret jokes or messages in your books only a few people will understand? Not in the crime novels, but um, I also, let me just take a step back. The very first book I finished, where I actually got and thought the end, was a children's novel. And it's called Vlad the Inhaler, um, Hero in the Making. It's the first in a trilogy. And in that, I put in lots of humour that any adults reading with the children would get, but the children wouldn't necessarily. <laughs> so, so there was lots of, um, I suppose, secret humour. But and, and adults have actually come back to me and you know said that part made me laugh. <laughs> the child said, "Why are you laughing?" <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. Like Shrek and stuff, where they've got secret jokes. I exactly, love that. exactly. Yeah, love that. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's amazing. Um, do you have lots of author friends? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, in online, virtually all of my online friends are either authors or avid readers, um, because that's part of my life. That's sort of who I am. In real life, um, no, no. Um, some of the online authors I have since met in real life uh, and become friends that way, but no, um, very few writer friends. 
um, would you come back to the book festivals in the UK like Harrogate? I'd love to. I'd love to. I live in Spain, and at the moment, we're not allowed to go anywhere. Um, my daughter lives in Gibraltar, which is 20 minutes along the coast from here. I haven't seen her since the end of December because we're not allowed to travel from one province to another. So, you know, the idea of actually going to another country is it's so far in the future. But yes, when I can, that's exactly what I intend to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're I mean, we're just uh, starting to come out. Mm. So, although I'm very, very envious. <laughs> I haven't ventured anywhere yet, though. I'm not brave enough yet, I don't think. <laughs> well, you see, that's the other thing. Um, I, I would want, I would need to be really satisfied that it was safe before I was, you know, going to go and... Because the whole point of those festivals is that there are loads and loads of people. So I would want to be... Have that feeling of security that it was okay to be with loads and loads of people. And if there are not going to be loads and loads of people, there's no point in going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've only been involved in the book community for about a year, just over a year. So I've got to know lots of people online and I haven't met any of them. And Harrogate is such a great chance to do that, but yeah. so many people aren't sure, so. Well, I won't be going this year. Um, I know some friends have booked. Uh, I won't be going purely because I don't think I'll be allowed to actually leave the country. So, uh, but maybe next year. I'd really, I'd really like to go. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you know, just if you can't go this year, it's not the end of the world, is it? You know, it's no. going to be on again next year. So, yeah. yeah. I think I think we've got a lot to look forward to, and I think possibly we'll be more appreciative of what is on offer because it's been withheld from us for, for so long. Yeah, I don't think people realise quite how much they miss stuff. I didn't realise how much I miss going to see a comedian or and stuff like that. So, yeah, mm. hopefully. Yeah, let's yeah. hope. Um, and do you get a lot of feedback from your readers? Yes, including one who actually wants to do a misery on me. Um, <laughs> Because without giving too much away, I, I did actually kill off one of my characters. And um, she told me in no uncertain terms that uh, that's what she would like to do, a Stephen King misery. And I thought, oh, I'm really glad we're not in the same country. <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, there's an author here called Mark Tilbury. Mm -hmm. And his art group is called The Twisted Annies. And that is because of misery. Right. So, um, yeah. And he only, I mean, we're in the same country, so I think he gets quite scared sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, yeah, uh, I, I do actually get quite a lot of feedback. In, um, in the fourth book in the series, um, I actually was totally fed up with this whole women as, as victim situation and I thought oh you know it's time the men were the victims and um, somebody who sort of read the first three in the series he, he sent me an email and he said I've just read the first chapter of your book and it made my eyes water because, <laughs> because <laughs> the victim. 
in, in, well, let's just say the man was a victim and he wasn't in a comfortable position. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Love it. Um, do you have ever have dreams or nightmares about your characters? Not nightmares. Um, some when I'm when I'm writing, yes, I do dream about the the character. They they turn up in my dreams, and then it's sometimes really frustrating because in the dream. They've had this brilliant dialogue, you know, it's like really, 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 really good. And I wake up and I think, I must write it down, I must write it down. And of course, by the time I've actually got to somewhere where I can write it down, it's gone. So, yeah, that is frustrating. But yes, um, very often, not so actually, not so much in dreams, because like the, that's where the dialogue happens. But I run in the mornings. And if I've got a, um, a plot problem, and I'm not thinking about it while I'm running, the answer will actually come to me out of the blue. So, but not in dreams, which is just as well, because I actually manage to remember it when I'm running, because I run so and so and so and so, so and so and so and so and so and so and so. And then I come in and say, don't speak to me. I've got to write this down. You should have a dictaphone by the side of your bed and when you run, so then you could be free. <laughs> by the side of my bed would be good. I have to tell you, running, no. I can barely breathe. <laughs> Never mind, actually. <laughs> I wouldn't understand a word I'd said. <laughs> yeah, perhaps not then. <laughs> um, what's your worst nightmare and would you write about it or have you written about it? Hmm. My worst, no, I haven't written about it and I wouldn't write about it because I don't write horror. Uh, my worst nightmare, I think it's a fairly sort of standard one, um, where it was like a, a black background and a mask, but it was a clown's face. And every time I took off the, the mask, there was a different one underneath that was actually more more sinister and frightening. Um, quite what that says about my subconscious, I have no idea, but it was, I can, it was years and years and years ago, but I've never forgotten it. It was absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it was maybe, I don't mind clowns either, but, <laughs> you know. No, I want to see, I, I don't like clowns. Um, and, and that was, it was almost like, it, you can't get rid of me. I'm just going to keep coming back and keep coming back. But each time I come back, I'm going to be more frightening. Mm. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I have that dream tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll think happy thoughts for the rest of the interview. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, if you were able to spend a day with any author alive or dead, who would you like to spend a day with? Ooh. You do ask really good questions. Um, Terry Pratchett. I love his, his Discworld series. I think he's just absolutely absolutely brilliant um it just got better and better with with every book um uh, have you read his his series do you know his book? read one or two i think yeah when i was okay. yeah when i was like teenager um, I, the thing i love about i think of him as the jonathan swiss swift of our time because what he did 
in his books, he held up a mirror to us and said, okay, this is, this is who you are. You can either laugh at yourself or you can laugh at yourself and try and do better. Or you can laugh at other people and not do better. It, I just love the way he, he used humor and speciesism. <laughs> he had, the, he had the, the trolls against the dwarves and the dwarves didn't like the humans and the humans didn't like the vampires and the vampires don't like the werewolves. And it was all us. Our, you know, it's, it's us and our, our prejudice and um, narrow-minded ways of looking at the world. But he used it in such a way that you couldn't help laughing, while at the same time acknowledging this is who we are and we need to do better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if someone gets you thinking like that, that's quite an achievement, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, is there any book that you wish you'd written? Yes, but I changed the ending. I, I promise you I would. Gone Girl. I started reading Gone Girl and I was thinking, oh my God, this is good. This is good. This is really, really good. And I said at the time, I wish I had written this. It's, it's the only book I've actually thought, oh, I wish I'd written this. And then halfway through, you get this complete flip in the story. And it was like, oh, this is even better. This is wow, wow, wow. And then I got to the end and I thought, no, no. In real life, no way would that ending happen. And I know it's fiction, but you've actually got to be able to believe in it. And that just, and I went to see the film in the hope that in the film, they changed the ending. And they did. Um, I don't know if you've if you've read the book or seen the film, um, but the ending. Oh, you see, if you haven't, then I I don't actually want to give any um, uh, spoilers. But if you haven't read it and you read it, when you get to the end, just remember what I said. Not realistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I haven't read it. But I have got it. I'm just never. I haven't read it yet. It's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. It, once you start, you will be totally gripped. But then when you get to the end, send me an email and say, hmm, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's a deal. <laughs> um, I forgot what I was going to ask you now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. It happens all the time. <laughs> um, what's the most interesting thing you found while researching your books? Interesting. Hmm. Apart from how to kill people. Um, <laughs> in, in my third book, all of the murders are, uh, take place through insulin injections, which is something that everybody, um, we all have insulin in our body, and it helps a lot of people, but if you don't need it, and you're given an overdose of it, you're going to die. Hardly likely to be picked up in autopsy, particularly if injected in a place um, where nobody's going to look, like between the toes. Um, so yeah, I found that 
I found that very interesting. Yeah, my um, my degree is in forensic science, so. Oh really? Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> okay. so, yeah. <laughs> Teaching a grandmother to suck eggs. You already knew all of that. Uh, well, I sort of. I was thinking behind the ear is quite common as well. I think for injecting, where you can't see all at the base of the neck where yeah. the hairline is. But yeah. Well, I, I followed uh, I followed that research up um, with some discussions with a with a doctor. And he was actually the one who said between the toes. Um, and unless it is, unless there is a reason to look for it, it, it will get overlooked because it is a naturally occurring um, substance in the body. And unless they've got a reason to uh, check, you're just going to get away with it. So because I wanted my murderer, um, I wanted it to be obvious that my murderer was using insulin. I had to make the injections obvious. So, yeah, but that, that was one of the most interesting things. <laughs> I yeah. found out a lot, of, a lot of unpleasant things in, in research that I don't particularly want to talk about, but that was interesting. Um, what's your biggest dream as an author? <sighs> I suppose to have my um, series turned into a television series. And do you have people in mind of who you'd like to play your characters? No, no, no. I, <laughs> I think that's partly because when I read, um, and I think most people do this, I, I really don't like somebody saying, oh, he was six foot two with blonde hair, blue eyes, um, you know, I don't want to know that. I want to actually picture in my head what those characters look like. Um, and for that reason, I don't, I do, I, obviously I do give some description, um, but I don't, I know. When my children's book was, was uh, published, it was published by um, an American company and they hired um, a, a, an artist to actually depict the three main characters in the book. And obviously, you know, as, as author, I had very little say over the cover. And when they sent it to me, they were so excited. Oh, Lorraine, here, blah, blah, blah. And I looked at it and I wanted to cry because they didn't look like my characters. They didn't look like the characters in my head. So when you say, do I have somebody in mind to pay anybody? No, because I don't know in truth what the way other people view them. If that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. I imagine that's the same for most people, but I found it interesting that when J.K. Rowling wrote Harry Potter, she always had Robbie Coltrane in mind for Hagrid, just all the way, which is, yeah, I mean... <laughs> That I can understand. I can't imagine anybody else playing Hagrid. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But I wonder if it restricted how she wrote him or made it easier. I don't know. Possibly made it easier because she didn't have to think about him. She could just, she just knew him. You know, it, I, I think it was pro would probably be easier. Yeah. Well, it works. Um, he is perfect. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
couldn't be anybody else. The same, I think uh, the same as Maggie Smith for McGonagall, but... Yes. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, do your um, family read your books? Um, yes. Uh, my daughter didn't, um, but now she does. Uh, I think the reason she didn't, she was worried that she might not like them or she might think, oh, God, Mum, you can't actually write embarrassing um but when she started reading them um she sort of got into them and now she now she reads them before they've been published because I send them over and say look read that and then she'll come back and say okay mum this doesn't work you know so she's she's a really good um first reader for me oh brilliant <laughs> does she feel privileged now she gets to read them first as well no no <laughs> far from it she, she doesn't feel privileged at all <laughs> tell her nice lady i was speaking to the other night she said you should feel privileged yes absolutely it is a privilege mm. and an honor so yes you should <laughs> um what's been the highlight so far of your um writing your author career i guess um I was a number one bestseller on Amazon um, Australia for oh, about three and a half weeks with the second in my series. So that was that was lovely. Um, I think the real highlight is every time I get an email from a reader saying how much they, you know, they they love the books. And I suppose being taken on by headline. Um, because that's part of the, the big five, um, which was really exciting. Um, I don't know, I feel like, I think there's still a lot to come. I hope. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it, so I think there will be. I think you're fine. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> uh, what do you like to do when you're not writing? <laughs> well, I run. Um, my whole day is taken up to do with writing though because um I, I write my own books in the morning and then i work on the books of other authors in the afternoons um and as i said i, I run the writing competitions um I spend time with friends and, and family i don't read as much as i used to which is really sad um but that's partly because my whole day is taken up with reading and writing. Uh, but when I get a book that really grabs me, then reading for pleasure. Um, of any of the books you've been sent, have you thought, wow, this is the next big thing and anyone really stood out? Yes. And every time I've thought that, um, I have been wrong. And the reason I've been wrong is that it is so hard. Our, our industry is ridiculously hard. I have read some absolutely brilliant books um, that I've given feedback on that if it landed on the right desk at the right time would definitely go on to be a bestseller, but hasn't landed on the right desk at the right time. You know, if you think the... The even 
mid-range agents get sent hundreds of books every week. They'll maybe take on two new authors a year. The big agencies, they'll maybe take on five new authors a year, but they get sent maybe thousands. So, you know, that your chances of being picked up by an agent are really small. And then the agent is pitching your book against lots of other agents to publishers in the hope that, you know, it will get taken up. So there have been a couple that I really felt should, really should have been um, taken up. And maybe they still will be. Um, I have told people just keep sending them out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, I didn't realise actually, um, but since getting to know authors, I, I see how hard it is, how hard they have to fight just to get a sale. It's yes. It's, 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 it is absolutely ridiculous. And the thing is, unless, you know, if you think, um, I can't remember the, I can't remember the exact figure, but it was some ridiculous figure of the number of books that, that get published on Amazon, just Amazon every year, particularly now where there are so many um, self-published books. Um, and I'm not knocking those, so please don't think that I am. But where before the only books that really were, if you go back, I don't know, 20 years, there were very, very few self-published books. Now there are a lot of authors who have written great books, cannot get um, where they want to be the traditional route, but those books deserve to be published, and so they get published. But that just, you think of the number of books that are out there, how do, how do you actually get your books noticed? And that's the same, whether, however you're published, whether it's self-published or traditionally published, how do you get your books noticed? It's really hard. With the um, publishing houses, they will give a new book a certain amount of time. And if it doesn't take off, well, they move on to the next one. Yeah, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? If we knew the answer to that, then it would be sorted. I mean, I've actually, I've read books, um, and I'm not going to name them because I, I really do not like knocking authors or books, but I have read books that have had a massive marketing um, team behind them that have made the number one on the Sunday Times books, blah, blah, blah. And I've read it and I've thought, this is actually a load of tosh. You know, I've, there are other authors that I've read that can't get even and can't can't get a sniff of a deal that are so much better. So there's a huge amount of luck that, that comes with it. Yeah, um, I spoke to Mark Billingham, who is obviously majorly successful, and he said, I've been lucky. He said, all the way, I've just had luck. He said, you know, I don't claim to be a better writer than anyone. He said, I've just had so much luck along the way. Which, you know, it's quite nice that I suppose that he acknowledges that. Yeah. Look, they're, they're, first, first you've got to have a, a certain amount of talent. You've got to be able to write. But there are, as I said, there are authors that I know that write amazing books and they're just not selling. You know, and, and that's 
like with big publishers and they're still not selling because it just, you know, they just don't take off and it, it's, it baffles me sometimes. And then, as I say, I'll read something that's supposedly the best thing that's come out this year. And I think, well, no, so-and-so's book is much better. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I read, generally I read indie authors now. And some of their books are amazing and absolutely brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Like out of this world good. And you know, you go into a bookshop, you wouldn't they wouldn't even know who they were. No. And they won't they won't stop them. You know, that that's maybe, you know, your your local uh bookshop will will stop some for you. Um but big chains or you know to sort of get um nationwide coverage it's not going to happen libraries are, are, are great i my books are in the library and um you know it's it's great to know that they are being read and you know that's what that's that's what we want really as as writers we want our books to be read yeah, yeah, I haven't met one yet that said they want to be a millionaire. <laughs> no, and you know, and I, and I and I don't want to be famous. I'd like my books to be read. I'd like people to be talking about my books. But for me, no. On a personal level, no. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. And <laughs> um, what's the last book that made you cry? It was um, the, it was a, a true book, a true book. It was um, nonfiction, and it was based on the letters between Tsar Nicholas II and his wife Alexandra. And I stopped reading it at the point that I knew the whole family was going to be executed. And I sobbed buckets and I couldn't actually go back to the book. So that, that was the last one that made me cry. Oh. Um, if you were to invite four famous people to a dinner party, who would you invite? Um, Catherine the Great. Terry Pratchett. Nelson Mandela, and I'd want I'd want somebody funny there. Huh, Mickey Flanagan. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> God, that'd be some dinner party, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would. Yeah, I'm not sure what the others would make of Mickey Flanagan. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I'd want him there because. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you need, I think you, for the others, you, you actually need somebody totally outrageous. And yeah, I think he'd fit the bill. Yeah, and he wouldn't care either. <laughs> no, exactly. exactly. <laughs> he wouldn't. Um, you said you've lived in lots of countries. Is there any that you haven't been to that you'd like to go to? Um, yes, I'd like to go to New Zealand. Um, I'd like to go to Russia. But Tsarist Russia, not communist Russia. 
you know, I'd like to go to the Winter Palace and I'd like, you know, that sort of Russia. Um, where else would I like to go? I don't think there's... No, I'd like to, I believe it or not, I'd like to see more of Spain. Um, you know, can't at the moment, although I have been to some lovely spots here. But no, in, in countries, I think that's probably about it. And if you were able to travel anywhere in time, back or forward, where would you like to go? Hmm. I think I'd like to go back to when I was about 15 or 16 and give myself a bloody good talking to <laughs> and say, it doesn't matter what other people think of you. You're fine. Just enjoy your life. That's, that's what I would like to do, because if I think about it, I spent far too many years worrying about what other people thought of me, what I was doing wrong, never mind ever what I was doing right, always. What was I doing wrong? Um, oh, just so negative. And I think that's, I think we're, we're all guilty of that. And, and I'd really like to go back and give myself a bloody good shake and say, Doreen, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. Just go and enjoy your life. <laughs> yep, sounds like a great idea. I think we could all do that. Yes. <laughs> um, who was your first celebrity crush? <laughs> Paul McCartney. I absolutely adored Paul McCartney. I was convinced that given the right circumstances, we were, we were going to make it. <laughs> Um, after him was, oh God, Davy Jones of the Monkeys. See, I'm giving my age away now. I'm <laughs> pretty ancient. Um, yeah, those two. They were, they were my, oh, David Essex. Oh, he was hot. <laughs> it's, it's the eyes, isn't it, with David Essex? Oh, no, it's just everything with David Essex. <laughs> Oh, he, he was, he was just gorgeous and sexy and, and, and more real than Paul McCartney or Davy Jones. You could actually believe in David Essex as, as a proper person. Yeah. Yeah, my mum's seen him. Actually, I wasn't allowed to go. Oh, yeah. oh. I know. <laughs> and she went to see ELO without me. Now that's mean. Yeah. But she took me to see the police. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was all right, actually, to be fair. But I swear me and my sister were the youngest people in the whole crowd. Well, probably. Yeah. But hey, <laughs> it's one of those. <laughs> I've been to see them. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one else knows who they are when I tell them. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you forgiven her? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. You bear a grudge. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> for life. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you said you're working on your second psychological thriller at the moment. So what's coming yes. after that? Oh, after that, probably, probably. Uh, book six in the um, D.I. Sterling series. 
And then after that, I'd like to do a couple more psychological thrillers standalone because I'm re I really enjoyed the, the first one. And as I say, this one, I am totally into it. Love it. Um, well, I don't think I have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you that you want to tell us about. I don't think so. You've, you've asked some absolutely fabulous questions, really. You know, some of them's like, oh, okay, I've asked that before. Um, <laughs> like no, I, 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 I've really enjoyed it, and, and thank, you for, thank you for asking me. You're welcome. So before we go, would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and where they can find your books? Okay, they are um, obviously available on Amazon. Um, Lorraine Mace, L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E-M-A-C-E. -E. Uh, they're also available, I believe, in bookshops in the, in the UK. Um, they're available at the library. Uh, you can find out more about me from my website, which is uh, www.lorrainemace, all one word, .com. I'm on Twitter at Lomace. Um, I have a Facebook uh, author page. Um, and that's it, I think. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you. Thank you for um, asking such brilliant questions. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember that you can view the video on my Facebook page, Donna's Interviews, Reviews and Giveaways, or you can also review the video on YouTube. Um, just search for my name, uh, Donna Morfitt. Her uh, surname's M-O-R-F-E-T-T, and you should be able to find it quite easily. Um, if you want any people to be interviewed, then please let me know, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you.